is it 681, 682, if you're using the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 2, and look at the first 12 verses. To give you an idea of where we're headed, um, today is Epiphany Sunday, and we're talking about this passage where the Magi came to worship Jesus. Next Sunday, you can't hear it enough, probably. Combined service, 10 o'clock, Sunday school at 9, for deacon ordination. And then, we're going to launch out into a sermon series through Easter in the book of Isaiah. Um, the gospel according to Isaiah, or the good news according to Isaiah is what I'm calling it, and uh, really, really excited about that. So that's, that's where we're headed. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Um, we at the Swan House had, had a pretty great one. Uh, everything went great, but one of my highlights of the break was this past Tuesday. You're like, Wayne, what did you do this past Tuesday that was so great? You know what I did? Nothing. It was glorious. I had my jogging pants on that have the hole in them because I've worn them so much all day. My favorite Carolina sweatshirt on, Gamecocks, of course, all day. I only left the house for one reason, to go buy a pack of Uno cards, to then come back and play Uno with my children. We played hide-and-seek. When was the last time you played hide-and-seek? It's actually pretty fun. You should do it. I've jumped on a trampoline recently, even as late as Tuesday. If you've not jumped on a trampoline in a while, I encourage you to try it while you can. One day you'll not be able to. And it was just like the best, most relaxing it's like nothing day. No meetings, no dinners, no lunches, no anywhere to be. Just, just exist and be. And then Tuesday evening came. And the emails started to pour back in. And I realized that two of my children had two sporting events on Wednesday evening. And it was just kind of like this sense of dread just started welling up inside, right? I was living in this kind of utopia for a while. Nothing to do, leftovers in the fridge, like life was great. 
And then this kind of impending dread of like, oh, how am I going to get this person there? How am I going to get this person there? And it just kind of all started welling up inside me. I think that one of the reasons that you and I enjoy days where we can just be is that really God has created us in a way for our souls to experience rest. And so much of life that we have embraced, both outside the world and also us inside, does not lead us into rest. And you and I, really, if we're honest with each other and with God, we think we're pretty smart. Like most of you, and you are in a way, but you know you can be smart and foolish. And we sometimes think that we know the right way. We think we know what will please us and make us happy, and we're running this way. And sometimes we look up and we're like, I'm actually not that happy. That what I'm doing currently is not working for me. But sometimes we're just at a loss of why or what the next step is. It's kind of like I listen to a podcast. I used to listen to this podcast about coaching baseball a lot. I think mostly my coaching baseball days have come and gone. But I used to listen to this podcast, and this guy would interview coaches. And he was interviewing this junior college baseball coach. And he was like, all right, what happens? Like, what do you do with these young high school kids as they're coming into junior college? Like, how do you teach them hitting? And he says, well, first, I do nothing. I just let them hit. I just let them go up there, and when they strike out enough and they figure out that they're not ready to hit this level, they are very coachable. But until they figure out they can't, they can't do it on their own, they're not ready to listen to or hear what I have to say to them. And a lot of us are that way as it relates to our relationship with the Lord, that we kind of take God's word as suggestion, we kind of take it as if this seems good to you, work it in. This might be a good idea. And we, nah, I might take this or do that part. But sometimes we struggle to live under God's lordship in our life. To confess and be humble enough that we don't know the right thing to do apart from him leading and guiding us. And sometimes we have to get to that point in our lives where we're like those freshmen coming into junior college and we strike out enough or we can't hit that breaking ball. And we're like, I need help. This sermon is mostly for people who realize they need help, um, who maybe feel like me on Tuesday afternoon, evening when the emails come in, and you're like, whatever I'm doing is not working. I would like to experience more of what God would have for me to know. Now, Matthew chapter 2 is a familiar passage, and it's a really interesting, wild passage in ways that maybe you don't notice at first. So, we hear that these magi have come to Jerusalem. Any of you go to the Living Nativity this year? If you did, you raise your hand. Pretend like you did. Yeah, it was great. And the Magi, they're like the, they're the people that go behind the manger scene, and they're standing over there next to the camels. And they're dressed with, like, crowns, and they're holding things, and they kind of eventually make their way in. And you and I have just become accustomed to the Magi. Like, they're just a part of the story. It's normal. But when, the, when Matthew wrote his gospel, for Magi to come looking for the king of the Jews is very strange, you all. They're these kind of weird characters that you read about in Scripture. I read a blog post about the Magi this past week, and it said it would be like someone coming to church this morning and saying, 
hey, we were working the tarot cards and it said come to church. And we were all like, we don't know about that, but we're glad you're here, right? Like, we're all keeping our eye on you now, like, okay, interesting guy. Like, the Magi are astrologers, right? They're looking at the stars, and like, we were led here to find the king of the Jews. And Herod hears the news, and Herod is not thrilled. Why do you suspect Herod is not particularly excited about this? What was his title? King Herod. And by definition, how many kings are there? One, right? And so he hears that the king of the Jews has been born, and he is troubled. He's troubled. He was known as being really insecure and worried about people stealing his authority in the kingdom. And, and in that day, like, it's possible, right? Somebody might kill you to be king. So he's, like, stressed out about this. But what's interesting is not just Herod's troubled but all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem hears news of the king of the Jews or the Christ or the Messiah being born, and they're also troubled. And here's the thing about, about life as crazy as it is. If your life is crazy and somewhat, um, you're not exactly experiencing rest for your soul every day. At least you know what to expect, Correct. Like, even if it's crazy, you've become accustomed to it, and it's normal. And you're, you're somewhat, you've made peace with it, and like, this is how life is. And the idea, I think Jerusalem as a whole, we're in that, in that spot. Like, is living under King Herod great? No. But it could be worse. It could be worse if this king of the Jews raises up, causes conflict within Rome, things get crazy. There, there are worse things than kind of just this settled for we know this. This is normal. This is, even if it's crazy, there's some kind of comfort in it. Right? And so all Jerusalem is troubled. And I identify with that instinct in them. I, I kind of like sometimes things are just like this is how they are. I know what to expect when I get up. I know what to expect when I go to bed. And this idea of Christ coming in as my Lord and saying, no, actually we're going to do this. Or we're going to do this, or we're going to go there. There is a certain amount of uncertainty that comes from giving up control of your life. And saying, I'm not in charge anymore. Jesus is in charge of my life. And then he starts getting involved in maybe your finances. He starts getting involved in your relationships. He starts getting involved in your professional life. In all these ways, he starts calling you to do things like love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Does that sound like the path of abundant, peaceful life to you? No. Right? Instinctively, it's kind of like, no, I don't know about that. And so a lot of us have settled for something less than the faithful Christian life. Something less than Christ being Lord in our lives and calling the shots. And so Herod's upset. Everybody in Jerusalem is troubled. And then... These magi are just like, well, we're just so happy to be here. Can you tell us how to get to where the king of the Jews is? And so Herod gets all the experts of his day together. They're like, all right, where should we find him? And they're like, well, actually not Jerusalem, as you might expect, but you should go to Bethlehem. Oh, you know this. Bethlehem. So they make their way to Bethlehem. The star comes over the house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are. 
And these, these magi remember, okay, like everybody, sure, make their way in. And they are filled, the ESV says, with exceedingly great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then what did they do? They fell down. They fell down before him and presented him with um, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When's the last time any of you got down on your knees other than to, like, look for the remote? And really, the Lord cares more about your heart than he does the posture that you're in. But this morning I was listening to the Project 119 Bible Reading Plan plan podcast. And Mary was reading through the things, and she was like, I'm just going to invite you to kneel wherever you are. And, of course, Mary said it, so I did it, right? And they're in the kitchen. They get down on my knees in the, by the chair. But prostrating yourself is a very vulnerable position, is it not? It's this outward recognition that, okay, I'm not in charge. You're Lord. And so I got down there and prayed along with the prayer that she offered. And that's what the wise men do. They come, these unlikely kind of crazy characters come in, they bow down, and they show in the midst of all this stuff happening what the appropriate response to Jesus is. That God's working through these Gentile kings to show everybody, one, that this Messiah that's been born is not just for the Jews, but he's for the whole world, even people like the, the Magi. And two, he's showing what the proper response is of bowing down and offering the best of what they have. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not an expert on frankincense and myrrh. The point is it's valuable. So whatever you got in your house that's valuable, that's what they offered. It was kind of like the best of the best, like the the napkins you use in the bathroom when guests come. It's like whatever you got is the best, and they put it forward, right? kind of yielding themselves to this Messiah, and then they went on their way. I want you to consider in your own life, what are the areas of your life where you haven't yielded full control to Christ and his lordship in your life? What are the places in your life where you know what scripture says, you know how God's leading you, but you've just not gotten to that point where you're ready to Humbly yield yourself and obey to what God's plan and purpose is for us in your life. And in those areas, ask the Lord for the faith and the humility to do what Proverbs says, to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, trusting that, that there's something in what God's doing in your life that he's leading you into a path that's ultimately for your good and for his glory in a way that whatever you're doing to this point likely isn't working out. This is not a new problem. I was reading Jeremiah this morning in my Bible reading plan. And in Jeremiah chapter 6, the prophet Jeremiah says, 
these people need to circumcise their ears. What do you think that means? That their ears were hard and they couldn't see that God's word was life and joy and peace to them? And then in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, I want you to hear what the prophet says. Jeremiah chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths and where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And I couldn't help but think about Matthew 11 when I read that this morning. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And it does involve a yoke. It does involve uniting yourself with Jesus and letting him lead the way. But believing that he is a good and gracious God, leading you into a path ultimately where you will find rest. So that's my prayer for you and my prayer for me. Um, that I would more and more yield my life to the Lordship of Christ, trusting that doing so, even when it seems like the craziest thing to do, will lead me ultimately to abundant life. Why do you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world to be our Savior and our King. Lord, we pray that you would help us be humble, that you would help us to love you and trust you, that you would help us to believe that faithfulness and obedience and yielding ourselves to your will in our lives will lead us ultimately. Though it may be hard, though it may be um, cause us to step out on faith and trust you, Lord, to do so believing that you want to lead us in a life that ultimately will be rest for our souls. We thank you and we ask this prayer in Christ's name.